Hello, and welcome back to Stern Chats, a podcast that explores the untold stories of the NYU Stern community. I'm Heather Rosenkonowitz. And I'm Alex Skanga. This week, we have Professor Karen Brenner joining us to talk about her area of expertise, leading organizations through challenging situations. Professor Brenner is the Executive Director of Law and Business Initiatives and a Clinical Professor of Business here at NYU Stern. Previously, Professor Brenner has served as a CEO, board member, board chairperson of multiple public and private companies. Additionally, she advised private equity firms, venture capital companies, boards of directors, and CEOs on corporate governance, professional ethics and leadership, and corporate turnarounds. Professor Brenner teaches courses to MBA students focused on these important topics. We are thrilled to be speaking with her today to learn more. Let's dive in. Professor Brenner, welcome, and thanks so much for joining Stern Chats today. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. We're so excited to have you on the show, and we're curious uh, to hear about your expertise in corporate governance, turnarounds, and ethics. But before we get to those, can you tell us a bit about your background and the career path that has led you to where you are today teaching these topics at NYU? My educational background, I studied finance and international finance. I uh, had a long-term plan of, of focused on, focusing on uh, international financial markets. Uh, after my first job, I got an opportunity to work in the investment business. Uh, my background, I studied uh, an undergraduate finance degree. And after that, uh, very quickly, I got an opportunity to run a troubled company. So in my early 20s, I was uh, given the keys to a company that probably should have failed. So I thought I had no downside in going in. Um, but I learned a tremendous amount, and I got an interest, developed an interest in, in uh, looking at troubled companies and seeing if we could fix them. And so from there, I, I continued working on behalf of venture capital companies and private equity firms and then public companies brought in by equity holders to fix trouble companies. Um, usually, the, hopefully after successfully fixing them, I got an opportunity to then sell the company on behalf of the sponsors. I'm curious, you, you, you said that in your early 20s, you were handed the keys to a company. Most people in their early 20s don't have that experience. Yes. What, what, what goes through your head? What are your feelings going into a new moment like that? Well, it's a great question because I think many opportunities are, are uh, they're obviously unknowable, they're unforeseen. Sometimes just by doing the job that you're handed well, you get uh, noticed by people in the orbit, whatever orbit you're working in. And I had that good fortune, I think. And so while I was completely unprepared in many ways to take on, this was a very small private company uh, that I knew, I knew nothing about the industry, I knew nothing about really anything. Uh, I, I think the, the fact that I was willing to learn and work hard were, were qualities that were helpful. Uh, the fact that I had done my job well, I guess, in my previous uh, stints in the investment firm was helpful. Uh, but it was it was humbling uh, and and exciting at the same time. And so um, 
frankly, I think a willingness to learn is really uh, helpful in all endeavors. Uh, a willingness to listen carefully is really helpful in all endeavors. And so those are some of the things that, that helped me in my first turnaround. And, and that whet my appetite to do more. And having successfully concluded that, turned the company around and then sold it on behalf of the sponsors, I was asked to do another turnaround f for someone who was in the investment group of the first one I did. And that's essentially the way it evolved over the course of 30 years. Amazing. Yeah. Lucky. Very, very <laughs> lucky. Uh, but, but you tend to gravitate to things that are fun, mm -hmm. things that where you think you're learning, at least in my case, that was exciting, and opportunities where you think you had uh, the chance to make a difference. And, and those, are, those are some of the elements that, that attracted me to, to turnarounds. And frankly, while I was in school, I never knew of that profession. I never knew of that kind of opportunity. It was not a course I was offered. And so after the many years of, of doing of working in the investment business, uh, running private and public companies, and sitting on many corporate boards, when I came back to school, uh, my late 40s, uh, and then was offered an opportunity to stay and, and teach, I looked at whether or not NYU had courses in corporate turnarounds. And while they had great courses, both in the law school and the business school, on bankruptcy, since most turnarounds happen outside of bankruptcy, I thought there was a space missing and that, that we should give students an opportunity to learn how to fix companies that get into trouble that hopefully don't go into bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. And so that was part of the, the desire for me to create that course. And, and I have to say, it's so much fun today teaching that course. That's wonderful. One of the things that you mentioned during our pre-interview was this idea that it starts with who you are in terms of um, kind of the leadership qualities and the values that you have to go into a turnaround. So is that one of the reasons why you think it's so important for MBAs to be learning about these topics, or are there other reasons as well? Well, I think several things. For me, now that I teach a, a several courses, courses in ethics, courses in turnarounds, and courses, courses in governance, ethics is, a, is foundational in any topic for me. Uh, it is. It starts with who we are, um, and how that manifests in the choices that we make, mm -hmm. the roles that we take, and the implications for civil society. And as we think about the lens through which uh, we operate, and and all of those elements, um, it's it inform. It should inform ideally everything that we do. If if we have alignment in that respect, hopefully we're living well within ourselves and well within the environments we inhabit. So, that that's a big part of of why the, a the courses I teach because it's informed by what I've done professionally, but also I think it's an important part of of where MBA students are. They're critically thinking about who they are, given the tools that they've amassed, the education that they've gained here, how do they apply the best of themselves to impact the world in a positive way? And so we're always asking, who are we and how are we using our skills 
in a way that has the impact we're seeking. Um, and it should inform everything we do. Turnarounds is specifically interesting because it's an opportunity for everyone to take a leadership role. One doesn't have to be the CEO of an organization to have a leadership role. Leadership begins with oneself and then emanates whether you're working on a project with a team and builds out from there. The particularly interesting thing for career paths and turnarounds is that case after case that we study, there's evidence of people who become leaders, CEOs of companies that get into trouble, have often taken up, taken on small roles on projects or running divisions of companies that get into trouble. And then they become the people that are tapped to take on a bigger role when something's getting into trouble. And then they become the people to tap, obviously, when a CEO role is, is available. To me, that's that gives students a meteoric rise in their career path, an opportunity for that kind of a rise. And the other thing that's, that's rewarding about it, not only that one gets to advance relatively quickly, but you get to apply a diverse range of skill sets. This is about leadership. It's about communication. It's about finance. It's about strategy. There are many elements to successfully executing a turnaround, stakeholder engagement, stakeholder management, consensus building, negotiation. So it touches on a wide range of skill sets, and it hopefully utilizes the, the education that, that our students are getting here um, and gives them every opportunity to apply it in the real world. The other thing, again, foundational in ethics, turnarounds often includes retrenchment in an organization. Sometimes and often it includes layoffs. And the moral obligations that we have to one another in distress situations are enormous. Mm -hmm. And so that's another important element of the course. Uh, it's easy, especially for students who are facile in finance, to think of this as just a numbers issue. Um, but numbers are telling a story, a human story, and we can't really forget that. So it's, it's very important that, that these are some of the elements that are brought to bear, especially in distressed situations when people are their most vulnerable. It's interesting to me because what you just described sounds like such an amazing growth opportunity. I mean, a, a challenging job for sure, but being able to try your hand at different communication styles, thinking about strategy, thinking about finance. Um, it's almost like an MBA's dream of being able to have these opportunities, but you've described turnarounds as the assignment that nobody wants, right? And that you mentioned women and, and other people of minority groups get tapped for these roles because, you know, people would tend to want the to work with a company that's growing and everything's rosy and going well. Exactly. Um, and I think that's that's really important. Maybe it's part of how I got my opportunity. Yeah. Look around the room and you see, uh, are people wanting to go into a burning building, so to speak? Mm -hmm. There are a few people who want to take on that kind of a situation. And part of the myths of turnaround is, is, is it a high-risk endeavor or is it a low-risk endeavor? For whatever reason, when I started, I thought of it as a low-risk endeavor. And my, my view hasn't changed dramatically mm -hmm. on that. I think the anticipation is that there are lots of things that are wrong with the entity, and so the probability is high that it won't succeed. 
those are the kind of challenges that are exciting because it gives everybody in the organization an opportunity to punch above their weight. They're, everyone's being asked to do things they never thought they could do before, and everyone's challenged to meet that, that need, and, and immensely gratified by being part of a team that can achieve that result, um, a positive result. And so, to me, anybody who can be in that arena has a lot to gain, and I do think because we tend, most people tend to want to be on the winning team, so to speak, and so if if you have a series of investments, think of a private equity firm as a series of investments, and five out of ten of them are going, you know, reasonably well, and a few of them are are muddling along, and one or two are really going poorly, it's going to be hard to get people to focus on the one or two that are going poorly. But for me, the opportunity was available. Nobody else wanted it. Maybe that's why it was so readily available. <laughs> and when you can make a big difference in a situation like that, it's like a wow. And then you become the go-to person when things are challenging. And whether it's a healthy company or an unhealthy company, inevitably almost any firm has those kinds of setbacks, challenges, and need somebody who has the courage to be analytic, uh, to understand the numbers, but also understand the social dynamics that are at play, and how to, how, how to encourage an organization, um, inspire an organization to meet the needs of a very challenging opportunity. Um, but it's, it's immensely rewarding and it's immensely rewarding for everybody who's engaged because, as I say, you're, you're all asked to do many things that you would otherwise not be asked to do. Um, and then when you succeed, you're, you're a lot smarter for it um, and uh, you have a lot richer experience as a result. Yeah. I have a two-part question for you. If you were to build a leader for a turnaround in a lab, what would be the most important aspects to that leader. And then the second part of the question is taking that to the real world. We're at a time where we're seeing a lot of very public turnarounds. The first one that comes to mind is Twitter and Elon Musk. How is what you're seeing in the real, real world compare to that ideal state that you're describing for us? The words that came to mind when you were asking the question, um, to me, curiosity is a really important quality of somebody who's interested in turnaround. It is about being interested, genuinely interested in asking a wide range of questions to develop a deep understanding of how something works, why it doesn't work, what, uh, what else could work. So curiosity and inquisitiveness, uh, a perseverance, all of those qualities I think are immensely important, which, which for me is, is an aspect of just interested in learning. Um, but curiosity is a huge part of that. I think humility is another part of that because turnarounds, uh, and maybe it's another myth of turnarounds that the CEO, whoever comes in, the chief restructuring officer, has to have all the answers. The reality is that person should be a catalyst, a catalyst to draw talent because it's a team sport. Now, 
Business is generally a team sport, but turnarounds is a matter of amassing a lot of material very quickly and making decisions and acting. And because of that trajectory, the sense of urgency that overrides all of this, which is the pace is very different than a normal operating company, a healthy operating company, one has to have a little bit of humility uh, along the way because we're not making decisions, we're not taking actions with perfect information. And humility to me is always a helpful quality because there's new information, there are new things to learn, there are new insights to be brought to bear. But it is very much a team sport and, and, and being a catalyst to draw talent, being curious about different perspectives, genuinely listening to diverse perspectives. To me, that's also an important and valuable skill set in, in this arena. When I think of public turnarounds, I'm not sure I would use Twitter as an example because I'm not sure that uh, necessarily evidences the kind of elements <laughs> I'm describing. But I think whether it's public or private, the skill sets, the the sense of uh, humility, the sense of curiosity. I mentioned earlier the ability to listen carefully, all those things, and the courage to act, obviously, which is, it is about taking action. To me, those are all very, very important uh, skill sets. The other piece of it is perseverance, uh, because uh, a turnaround is something that ideally you amass information and you believe in being able to accomplish something positive. And the belief shouldn't just be fantasy land, it should be grounded in analytics and, and the capacities of your team. And then it's a matter of, trans, of, of translating your belief to the others in the organization and getting other people to believe. Now, people tend to believe because they have an experience that, that gives them the feeling themselves that, yes, this is possible. So creating opportunities for others in the organization to get that experience, to believe that this is possible, so that they too can take action uh, to get to the end result that we're all seeking, those are part of the elements that, that one has to use along the way. And it's, it's sort of a snowball effect, just like in many other, and many other circumstances, there are the early adapters and then there are the laggards. Um, so one has to create circumstances along the way, hopefully to create the snowball and the dynamism necessary to persevere through inevitable challenges in a turnaround. So do you have an example then of a time that you saw some of these leadership characteristics help an organization go through a really tough turnaround? I'll give you uh, one example that we use also in the in the course is the Best Buy example, which many people are familiar with. It's gotten a lot of press, um, but it starts with a very humble approach, which is uh, the approach is the people in the organization. How are the employees feeling about their role, their responsibilities, how they're being treated? Are they being asked how to improve an organization? Mm -hmm. Are they being included in the process? So it starts with the people, um, and of course, then the products and the and the numbers, et cetera. But many of the uh, ideas of turnarounds are are very when it's deconstructed, 
are very reasonable. They're, uh, they're manageable. They're achievable. Um, and they're, uh, in their best way, they're humane. Mm -hmm. uh, they're decent. Uh, they're respectful. And, and they're engaging of all of the organization. I'm not a believer. In my experience, I, of all the companies that I went into, and there were many in a diverse range of industries, I never went in with a team. I always went in alone hmm. and always utilized the talent in the organization to achieve the result. Now, we may alter people's positions or, or alter the numbers of people in an organization, but, but it's not as though I over, would overlay another team on top thinking that the people outside the company knew better than the people inside the company how to fix a problem. Almost inevitably, the people within the company knew what was wrong and had, ide had ideas about how to fix it. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say part of the job is just being able to listen ask the question, listen to the answer, and, and see how to act on it and what result would, would, um, would be achieved. And by doing that, it's not only evidencing respect for the talent in the organization, but it's also engaging them to think more deeply, continue to try to develop other avenues, ideas, to improve this, the circumstance. And it's only by creating that kind of environment within a company that you, hopefully you engage all the talent that resides there and achieve the kind of result you want. And talent doesn't just reside at the top of an organizational chart. Um, it's, it's very often the talent that's closest to the customer, closest to the factory floor that knows what's wrong in production cycles, or what's wrong with the customer experience. So asking all the people the questions that need to be answered to affect the kind of change necessary is part of the process. Um, that's why it's fun. It's You're meeting with people, you're engaging with people, you're asking them to think about ways they have, ideas they have to improve how a company operates, and you're putting it together. Mm -hmm. um, what could be better than that? <laughs> you know, as I'm, I'm hearing you speak to this, I think any organization could benefit from their leaders listening and asking questions yeah. to kind of the, the entire team, no matter how large or small. And one of the themes you've been talking about is being humble, having humility, come and not coming into a situation saying you have all the answers. So I'm curious when you come into that situation, how much time do you give yourself to seek out the answers from the team, from taking your observations and then formulating what ends up being the answer. Well, it, it's very funny. In the, in the turnaround course, early on, the students learn that there are the answers to almost all the questions that are being asked throughout the semester. There are two <laughs> answers. One is cash, because cash is a lifeline of a company, and that <laughs> depends upon how much time one has to make the corrective changes. And the other is, it depends. And so in the answer to your question, it depends on how much cash we have. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, honestly, it really is, is context specific. It's, it's nice if one has more time to learn more before actions need to be taken. That would be very nice. 
But the nature of turnarounds is that there's an urgency. Usually, even private equity firms uh, and uh, public companies, usually people are in denial for a period of time. They hope, they think, they believe that things are going to improve, and so they wait to make the changes necessary, often including a change of management, um, the senior executive. And unfortunately, oftentimes that becomes necessary because the senior executive, the CEO maybe, is, is a believer in the strategy that was put in place and is not the first to say, this isn't working, we have to change course. So it really does you know, depend upon the situation, how much time, uh, cash a company has to, to withstand the state of play before changes are made. Um, if one has the luxury of time, it's always nice to get more information before actions have to be taken. And it's important to get enough information so that if certain actions are taken, if divisions are divested or layoffs are occurring or any other cost reductions are occurring or asset improvements, Im improvement in the overall asset plan of the organization, uh, that that it's made in the context of a strategic direction. That we're not just cutting for the sake of cutting because you don't want to cut off a limb that you're going to need for the future of the company. And you don't know that unless you've, you've studied enough to understand where do you want this company to go. It sounds odd, but in many instances, I say to the students, anticipate success. Where, where do you want to be? What, what do you want this company to look like on the other end of this? Um, is it reasonable? Is it achievable? Do you have to divest a given area or another or make certain changes to get there? But understand where you want to go given what's possible among the assets that you're taking over. This is really an optimization exercise in some respects. And so you've got a pile of assets, obviously a bigger pile of liabilities. <laughs> and so how do you optimize within the time and the, the circumstance that you have? The answer that I, I'll, I'll use in this case is what the law school usually has as an answer, which is, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> it's really true. <laughs> yeah. So you've talked about the importance of going in and asking questions and going in and trusting the team of people that are already there. And you've also spoken about turnarounds in such a positive light, right? You see them as an opportunity, something that's exciting, looking to learn. But what are some of the biggest challenge areas that leaders uh, in turnarounds typically face? And, and maybe what are some of the typical pitfalls you see for turnarounds that don't end up being successful? In any circumstances, there are people who are who never come to believe in the possibility. Mm. And, and so it's, it's not always, but often the case that there are the, I would say, permanent naysayers and that's unfortunate because it, it ends up dragging down the team and it ends up costing time. Mm. So um, it's, it's dealing with the hopefully very small group who, who 
can't rise to the occasion. And giving them the opportunity to sort of get off the bus because they don't want to be on the team, they don't believe in the effort, they don't believe in the endeavor, and they're not willing to put forth the effort and to give it a try. And so that's a that's sometimes a piece of a turnaround that that has to be addressed. One doesn't go in with a lot of um, wishes, in, in a sense, because one has to be very clear-eyed about what the realities of the situation are. Um, and so setting expectations that are close to reality is important because I think most people want to understand reality. They've been told by others maybe very flowery stories, wonderful stories, wonderful upsides, and that's all great. But after employees in an organization have lived through either multiple leaders in a short period of time or heard bad news for a period of time mm -hmm. or lib living in silos and not getting things done, they're experiencing the realities and the hardships of why this, uh, this company is not performing. And so when a turnaround leader comes in, it's really important for that person to, to speak about the reality that, that everyone already knows exists because that, that gets everybody level set. We're now on the same page. That, then she understands exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. She may not know my industry as well as I do. She may not know my job as well as I do. But she understands the circumstance of this company um, and is going to work with us in, in terms of how, how we can fix it. So speaking truth, which is also a sign of respect, we're not going to hide, we're not going to sugarcoat, we're going to deal with the reality and go from here together. Yeah. I think that's really part of the endeavor. Now, again, some people may not... Uh, rise to that occasion. Some people may not respond to that, um, but it's it's level setting and then working from there. The challenges are that not every turnaround can be successful. Either you don't get the stakeholders to support the plan, or there are other macroeconomic forces that occur in the midst of a turnaround, or there are always a lot of things can, that can go wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, but the other little piece that I tell my students is when you see something wrong that you can make right, that's an opportunity. And so hearing things that are wrong and being and wanting to hear things that are wrong, to the extent that those, those are things that can be addressed and fixed and improved and that that will make a difference in the performance of a company, that's what I call an opportunity. And so... Um, you change a culture, and, and one very important aspect of a turnaround, hopefully before one exits the, the assignment, is making sure that a culture of learning, of honesty, of reality, of sharing information, of collaboratively working together to improve the circumstance is something that's now baked into the DNA of the company because that's not where the company was when you started, but it's really important that the process that unfolds to get a company to a healthier state 
hopefully becomes institutionalized in a way that can continue because business is always changing. It's always dynamic. And a company may succeed at one point and has to have the DNA built in so that it, it improves its chances of success going forward. Heather, I'm so glad you mentioned this in your question. And I think for me, it's the biggest takeaway from this interview and hopefully for our listeners as well. And that, Professor Brunner, is your positive attitude yeah. towards what could be seen as such a challenging situation. And you speak not only about with like a positive attitude, but also telling the truth in a realistic way. You're not lying to people and saying everything's fine and dandy. It's all going to be okay. But you can still look for a positive goal to come out of a negative situation. Right. And striking that balance, I, I don't think many people are good at that. <laughs> um, I'm curious, you speak with the confidence of someone who obviously has led multiple successful turnarounds. Looking back at your career, what was your relationship with stress in, when you were on the ground mm -hmm. with these companies, when you, didn't, you weren't sure that it was going to turn out all right? How do you manage that while still kind of exuding this positive, confident energy? The challenge is so, is so omnipresent in a way that, that it's easy to get out of yourself and onto the mission. Uh, you don't spend a lot of time wallowing in yourself. There's a heightened state of energy, awareness, alertness, and maybe anxiety. Uh, but, but it's so much about everybody else that you don't spend a lot of time thinking about yourself. And, and that's, I think, an, also an important piece for, to me. It, it, part of what, is, what I describe as humility, being a leader is not about you. Um, it, it's about everybody else. And our collective mission is, is everybody's reward. So one easily gets out of oneself, I, I think, because, because the, the mission is daunting, the needs of individuals along the way, support, encouragement, whatever it may be, are real. And that's the role, is to be there to lift others to achieve their best selves and hopefully the mission of the organization. And so it, it really isn't about me or the leader in my view. Um, it really is about the collective endeavor, the collective journey. And, and, and frankly, that's what makes it fun. And ideally, if you've done your job well, you shouldn't be missed when you leave. Um, everybody should have embraced what, what is necessary to be successful over time, hopefully, and, and, and continues to exercise that in new and different and better ways as they go forward. That's the hope. You state it so simply, but I think it takes a special person to actually execute that. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> because business is a collaborative social endeavor, it really is important that we, that we understand that, appreciate that, appreciate the impact that business can have on the world, and, and embrace the elements that that affords us. 
hopefully in the most positive way, analytically, understanding human emotion. I mean, it's all part of who we are as social creatures and using all of those elements in leading an organization or participating in an organization's mission is, is part of the fun of being in business in general. Thank you again so much for being on the show. It's been such a pleasure having you. Thank, Thank you. That so no, was a pleasure. I could sit and talk to you all day. Yeah. <laughs>